Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm Macaretta, and I interview real women with real stories about real life stuff. I'm inviting you to laugh, cry, and connect with my guests as they share some of their most impactful life experiences, from their brightest moments to their darkest hours. For more stories and an opportunity to share your own, visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm. Thanks for being here today, and I'm excited to talk to Dr. Trina Dora this morning. We're going to be talking about emotional eating and uh, specifically how it relates to healthcare professionals, uh, but it really does it really does relate to everyone. Dr. Trina Dora is an internal medicine physician hospitalist, and she is the founder of Dr. Trina Dora Life Coaching. Dr. Dora obtained her medical degree from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and she completed her internal medicine residency and master of public health at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. She completed a fellowship in quality improvement through the VA hospital in Birmingham, Alabama, and she is here today as part of Dr. Trina Dora Life Coaching, and I'm so excited to have her back. Trina and I recorded together, oh geez, a year ago at least on another subject. And it's just always good to reconnect. And it's been fun watching her evolve in her coaching as well as, you know, I've evolved and changed in, in my role here at This Girl Puts Out. So it's really fun to reconnect. And Trina, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So we're going to talk about emotional eating, but also the fact that you are a physician as well as an emotional eating coach. And um, tell us a little bit about what point in your life and career did you make the decision to start coaching and, and why? Yeah, I first decided that I wanted to be a coach in 20. 19. And it just happens that I hired a coach myself. And I really didn't realize that he was a life coach at the time. I thought I was hiring a fitness coach. And then he told me, Oh, I've kind of changed my business. I'm doing a lot of life coaching now. And so I was like, okay, you know, I've paid for the program. I'll just check it out. And it ended up being transformative. Like that was the first time I'd ever worked with a coach before. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing look at the way he's able to help people just like as a physician, I help people, but he's helping people over here as a life coach. And that's when I first really started getting interested in the idea of becoming a life coach. Mm -hmm. And you thought, geez, there, there might be something else I can do for people a different way. Right. Cause I think that all of us who go into healthcare do want to help people. And we specifically want to help people with their health, which is why we go into healthcare but coaching helps people with their health as well, although it's more of the mental health side. And I think that's equally as important. Oh, absolutely. And being a healthcare provider myself, I mean, I know plenty of, of people in our, in our profession who are very much interested in coaching or very curious about it and think the same thing that you did. You know, maybe there's a, a way I can help people better or additionally you know, to, to augment the way you already help them. So um, yeah, congratulations on all of that. Yeah. So let's talk about emotional eating. What, what is it? And is it the same thing as stress eating or what, what, what exactly is emotional eating? 
Right. So I define emotional eating as anytime you're using food to try to change your emotions. Now, usually that's a negative emotion, although some people do emotionally eat in response to positive emotions, but most of the time it's a negative emotion. Mm -hmm. So one of those negative emotions is stress, but sometimes if you're upset or angry, frustrated, overwhelmed is another really big one. And you don't really like that feeling, right? None of us like the feeling of stress or feeling overwhelmed. And the way you deal with it when you emotionally eat is you turn to food. And in particular, whenever I used to emotionally eat, I would turn to things like cookies and candy and Mm -hmm. sweets, you know, things that gave me kind of a high. Mm -hmm. And that is what I would use to try to regulate my emotions. I always wished I was one of those people that when they got stressed or upset that they couldn't eat, but it always triggers an eating response for me. Like I definitely want to quell (laughs) whatever is going on with food. And sometimes too, I find that when I'm stressed, and this is all without me being aware, right? I'm not stopping to ask myself what I'm actually feeling, but I notice that I do, if I, if I look back after the fact that I'm eating because I feel like I deserve it because I'm stressed, right? You know, so, so, oh, geez, I had the stressful day. So therefore I get to eat unconsciously and without regard to what I'm putting in my mouth or how much, right? Um, So, I mean, who are emotional eaters? It sounds like it could be everybody. Right. And they do say that everybody at some point does emotionally eat or engage Mm -hmm. in emotional eating Mm -hmm. because nobody is a perfect eater. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's important to know. There's no perfect way that we eat and there's no perfect standard. And so at some point, everyone's going to engage in emotional eating. Mm -hmm. But I think it really becomes a problem when that becomes your primary way of how Mm -hmm. you are dealing with your life or how Mm -hmm. you're trying to deal with your emotions. So when you're always turning to food to solve your problems and deal with your emotions, that's when it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think too, you know, we talked to just touched on the fact that you have to be aware of what you're doing. I mean, I think you can go a long time and emotionally eat and not even realize what you're doing. Right. So then there's the fact that it's happening, but then there's that awareness that it's happening, you know, and you're just feeling maybe bad because you're not the way you want to be, or because you know that you're not eating in a healthy way, or you don't feel good physically, but to make that connection is, is tough. You know, it requires you to stop and, and think. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Right. And I didn't even realize that this was a big struggle for me Mm -hmm. until I actually was trying to lose weight. So Mm -hmm. like many women, I've been on many diets throughout my life. Mm -hmm. But then when I really started realizing there was a problem, none of the diets were working. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. stick to them Mm -hmm. and I would go on a diet and I'd have all this, you know, commitment. And I was like, "I'm, I'm going to make it this time. And then by that afternoon or the next day I was eating. And so I really started to think, okay, maybe there's something more to this and maybe being on a diet or hiring a weight loss coach, which I had at the time, isn't the way to go. So you're Mm -hmm. correct. It does take some awareness. And that was whenever I really started doing some research to try to figure out what is going on. Mm -hmm. I've tried all these diets and it still isn't working what's going on. And it was because I had deeper issues. Yeah. So that's most people stop at the, I tried this and it didn't work. 
you know, that's, that's where they stop. And then they just carry on feeling bad about themselves, right. Or feeling unsuccessful, you know, with their, with their weight program. But I think the psychological piece is just the, the biggest piece of it, you know, and, and until you surrender to that and know that you're kind of normal, it's, you're going to keep running into the same brick wall. Oh yeah, definitely. A lot of people deal with this. And the more I've been sharing my story, I'll have people message me and say, Oh, thank you for sharing. I struggle with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so it is a lot more common. And in particular in healthcare as well, I've had a lot of healthcare workers, not just physicians, other healthcare workers as well. Tell me, I really resonate with what you're saying. I think I have some of the same struggles Mm -hmm. and issues. Yeah. You recently wrote an article for Kevin MD, which is, which is what I had picked up, which sparked excitement in me to talk to you again. And you were talking about the silent burden of shame that, you know, we carry around when we are not the weight we want to be, or, you know, uh, trying to diet and not being able to be successful at it or lose weight or whatever. And you shared that you have experienced an eating disorder and that shame was a big part of your experience. So can we chat a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, no, I definitely think that the type of personality of person who becomes a physician, Mm -hmm. a lot of times we're perfectionists, we're very driven, been successful pretty much our entire lives. And so it was the same for me. I was successful at almost everything I had tried to do in the past, but I just couldn't figure out how to be successful with my eating and then my weight, because as I was continuing to eat and eat and eat, my weight was going up. And like you said, I was blaming myself. I was feeling shame and you just start to hide. Like you think maybe you're the only one dealing with it. And so you don't want to talk about it and you just kind of keep it to yourself And that's a really hard burden to carry where you're always beating yourself up and just saying something is wrong with me. As I've been sharing more, there's a lot of people who are feeling that way, who are also suffering in silence. Yeah. And it just chips away at your confidence And here, you know, you come out of fellowship and you are just all shiny and new and, you know, you worked really hard to, to get to get where you are, you get your job and you start working and you're loving it. And then this other thing is happening in the background that is just like picking away at your self-confidence and in creating self-doubt for you. And I think uh, that is very, very common. And it definitely helps to talk about it and know that a lot of people carry that. Um, Because again, here you are, you're good at everything. You're type A, you're straight A. And here's this thing that you can't, you can't be successful at. And I think too, for healthcare providers, we were always worried about how we're perceived, you know, how, how patients are perceiving us, you know, if they're looking at us and we're not healthy, do, can they, can they trust us to take care of them? I think that's a real, a real issue too, with, with healthcare providers. Would you agree? Oh, yes. I've definitely heard people say that, they experience a lot of shame whenever they're trying to talk to patients about, you know, anything that revolves around their weight, because they say, well, 
if I can't control it myself, you know, if I'm not at a desirable weight, then I don't feel like I can really have that conversation yeah. with my patients. I think yeah. that they're probably judging me. And so, yes, a lot of um, physicians and other mm-hmm. healthcare workers are feeling shame. Mm-hmm. And I think that can also be fixed someday in a perfect world when we really redefine health and wellness. And we, we realize that you don't have to be a size six to be considered healthy, you know? So, so that's part of the problem too, is our cultural definitions of, of health and our, you know, this current society we live in and the diet culture that, that all plays a role too. I think if we redefine health and we redefine or talk more about healthy weight um, and, and talk about that in, in real terms, I think that we, we could change some of that. But one thing that you said is true. I think so many people that you interact with at work and your personal life and your mm-hmm. family are immersed in diet culture. And they're always talking about diets and they're always mm-hmm. talking about losing weight. So you just start to believe that that's the norm. And that's just the way you have to live life. We're all on a diet all the time, or we're all, we're all unsatisfied with how we look. And so now that I have gotten out of that mindset, it has been so amazing and so freeing to just not every single day be focused on my weight. Yeah. And that's, you know, one person at a time, right? So you, you no longer subscribe to all that diet culture nonsense and chatter. And it's great. Now you're sharing it little by little. Hopefully we will, we will strip away all those old beliefs and, you know, we'll stop thinking in terms of you have to be thin to be beautiful. And, you know, you have to eat this to be this weight all the time. And we're working on it. (laughs) Right. And you said something else I think is really important when you said health isn't just defined by your weight. And again, I think that so many of us in part because of our society, that's our only view of health. And it certainly was for me as well. Whenever I first started on this journey, I thought health just had to do with how much I weighed and you know, my pant size, but health is so much more than that. Health can be, if you're sleeping properly, if you're in a safe home, you know, those are a lot of things that go into health. And now that I've learned that health is more than just what you eat, then I've realized everyone can engage in health promoting behaviors. And so there's actually even a movement called health at every size. I don't know if your listeners have heard of that before, but if you haven't definitely check it out. And basically what they're saying is no matter what your size, you can engage in health promoting behaviors because health is more than just what you weigh. Yes. And until we, until that is the definition until that message gets out, you know, we're going to, we're going to stick with this diet culture conversation and, you know, this shame, it's going to stick with us until we adopt that, that new definition of health. So yeah. And you and I have talked about that in the past. I, I struggle, I struggle with that. And, and I've educated myself and learned a lot about it over the last couple of years, because um, I see a disconnect in the messaging, you know, as a, person on the planet and as a healthcare provider. And we need to, we need to speak that message a little bit louder and more clearly and, and make sure that it gets across. Well, it's not being taught to us is one of the other things. So whenever I was in medical school, we never really talked about this. 
And whenever I was in treatment, I was in treatment with a dietitian. I was in treatment with a psychology student and same thing for them. They were like, you know, we don't really talk about eating disorders or disordered eating either. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we are putting out this entire workforce. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining it's the same for nurse practitioners, physician assistants. We're putting out this entire workforce where there's a lot of judgment around people who maybe carry a little bit of extra weight or or Mm -hmm. in a larger body. And we have these ideas that, oh, well, if they would just eat less, or if they would just exercise more, Mm -hmm. you know, everything would change. And so that contributes to the shame and the stigma. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's another area where we could target target, you know, our, our change and how we're going to look at this is in the training, right? In the schools. Yep. It's a big job. So you, you touched for a second on your eating disorder. Can uh, you share with the listeners what you went through? Right. Yeah. And so I actually had an eating disorder for many years and, you know, I think eating disorders are one of those things where maybe you realize that something isn't quite right. But a lot of times you easily kind of convince yourself that everything's okay. So we always talk about the ED brain or the eating disorder brain. And so the eating disorder brain tells you, oh, it's okay. It's all right that you're not eating or it's okay that you're eating too much or whatever your eating disorder Mm -hmm. is. And so you just kind of start to convince yourself that this is normal. This is okay. And so eating disorder treatment, so much of it was just breaking down these beliefs that the eating disorder brain had instilled Mm -hmm. within me for so many years. And then just opening my eyes up to the fact that there really is another way to think about things and continuing down that path of the eating disorder wasn't healthy, even though the eating disorder brain says, no, this is what you should do. This Mm -hmm. is how you stay skinny. This is how you stay desirable. Keep you know, using your eating disorder to do this. But I now realize that that was not really the healthy way of thinking. And so now I'm having to realize the healthy way of thinking looks very different. You know, my body looks very different. What I eat looks very different than how it looked whenever I was fully in my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, an eating disorder is a, a, a diagnosis. Correct. Um, but there's also the term disordered eating, which I guess is probably, you know, doesn't qualify for whatever the criteria are for an actual eating disorder. What, what is the difference? Correct. So you are correct. Eating disorder is a medically defined um, disorder. It does require treatment by specialists in eating disorders. And so I certainly would encourage any of your listeners, if they even think that they have an eating disorder, to investigate that more and, and get checked out. And, and But there's so many other people who don't meet the criteria of an eating disorder, but still have what we call disordered eating. So disordered eating can take a lot of different forms. And so it could be eating something that you don't really like just because it has fewer calories or disordered eating could be suppressing your body's hunger. So let's say your body is telling you it's hungry. And then you're looking at the clock and you're like, well, I can't eat again for another hour. I guess I'll just drink a bunch of water. Even that could be disordered eating. So there's, or even just rigid, rigid food rules or rules that say, you know, you can only eat two times a day. You can only eat between these particular hours. 
Um, there were times when I had rules like I can only have this many grams of carbs a day, this much sugar a day. Mm-hmm. And so again, I actually had an eating disorder, but there are a lot of people who do not have a medically defined eating disorders, but these other behaviors are so pervasive in mm-hmm. our culture that everybody just starts to think it's normal. Like think about how many times you've been told, oh, if you're hungry, just drink some water or, or if you're hungry, just try to distract yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, it's like, wait, why are we ignoring our body's natural hunger? And so this just becomes this common way and all your friends are doing it and all your family is doing it as well. And so mm-hmm. you don't realize that it's disordered. Yeah. So interesting. I feel like every restrictive type of, of, you know, eating behavior is disordered. Yes. I usually tell people if somebody else is telling you what to eat, when Mm -hmm. to eat or how much to eat, Mm -hmm. that does fall under disordered eating. Because Mm -hmm. whenever we look at more of food freedom or intuitive eating, you're really honoring what your body wants in that model. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, okay, I'm hungry. What do I want? What sounds good to me? And there's not an external person telling you what you should eat Mm -hmm. again. I lived so many years on diets and diets are restrictive eating. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that. Like we don't realize that a diet really is some other person telling us how we should eat, when we should eat and what we should eat. And the diet industry has gotten really savvy. And so they don't always call it a diet anymore. Right. They call it, you know, healthy eating or wellness or something like that. Like, Oh, you know, you're like, okay, this is good. But really, if there's any restriction, it's still a diet. Wow. When you start to think about how deeply ingrained it is in our culture, it's scary. Yes, definitely. It's scary. Cause then you, you then, then you think about how many people are just walking around feeling shameful and feeling bad about themselves because of all this. It's, it's really, it's overwhelming. I think, you know, one thing that really kind of made me want to become an emotional eating coach and get Mm -hmm. some of these, Mm -hmm. you know, concepts out there to other women was whenever I was in treatment, you know, we were, we were having a discussion one day about how here we were, you know, working very hard to change our mentality, change our mindset. But we said, but when we go out in the world, nobody else is doing this. You know, everybody else is still dieting. Everybody else is still, you know, fitting in the size, whatever clothing. And now we don't because we no longer are, you know, are engaging in our eating disorder. And I remember there was one of the girls that said, well, you know, I think so many other people are trapped. They just don't realize it. And that just really stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I think about now, whenever I want to help people with um, emotional eating or disordered Mm -hmm. eating, there's so many people who are trapped and they don't even realize it. No, they don't. And, you know, I can even be in a, a, with all the the knowledge and the the work that I've done to open up my mind to this stuff, I can still be in a conversation and chime in with the diet culture talk. You know, you just slip right back into it. It's really, really deeply ingrained. Um, So we did talk a little bit about, you know, the, the challenges of being a healthcare provider and how, how, you know, we, we carry shame a different way. When you and I were setting up our discussion for today, you had talked about, there's a lot of trauma in healthcare. Um, Can you share a little bit more about that? 
Oh, yes. There's was a lot of trauma even before COVID, but mm-hmm. certainly with COVID, there's so much trauma in healthcare, mm-hmm. not just physicians. You've probably heard all of the stories about nurses and everything they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many healthcare workers, I think, are traumatized and maybe we don't realize it or we don't realize the full extent. And so whenever people are trying to figure out, you know, how do I deal with this trauma? People try to deal with it in various ways. Some people drink too much. Some people eat too much. Mm -hmm. And there are other ways as well that people try to deal with it. And so I think we have a workforce in healthcare who, in a lot of instances, is barely hanging on. And whenever you go see your doctor, you know, the nurse or the medical assistant, the physician you're seeing, those people may barely be hanging on and maybe they're getting through their day because after every patient they're eating or whenever they're sitting down to write their notes, they're eating just to try to help them get through the day. And again, they're not eating because of hunger. They're eating because of the comfort that food provides. Um, And the the general public doesn't know this at all. They, you know, because as healthcare providers, we put on, you know, we have to be authoritative in our approach and, and, you know, we know, we know what's best for you and this is what we should do. We have to portray some level of confidence in order to give recommendations and, and, you know, try to help people get healthy. And so a lot of us are, are hiding behind that wall and maybe not feeling that confident. Right. And then in between patients, as you say, you're downing a bag of chips or, or whatever, whatever it is. But I I just don't think the general public um, knows that they don't think of us as a group of people who are suffering um, in any way. And maybe COVID has shed a little bit of light on it. Um, But you, as you mentioned, even pre COVID, there is a lot of stress that goes with being a healthcare provider. Right. I think sometimes people will say, oh, well, you have a stable job or you make really good money. You know, what do you have to be you know, stressed about or what do you have to worry about? But, you know, it really does not matter what kind of job you have, if you're a man or a woman, you know, how much money you make, mm-hmm. anybody can be affected by this. So anyone can struggle with their eating, emotional eating, disordered eating, mm-hmm. anyone. It doesn't matter about the job or the money you make. Mm-hmm. And again, too, I mean, healthcare providers are humans, right? We're all carrying around some micro traumas from something, you know, whether it's something we went through as childhood or as adults or whatever, or our, our shame we're carrying around from disordered eating, you know, we're, we're people, we're humans, just yes. like everybody else. And there is an ideal that goes along with our profession that we are somehow immune or, you know, above uh, some of the stuff that other people go through. And it's simply not true. We're humans. We carry around a lot of stuff just like everybody else. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I mean, you feel, you, you must feel like your experience with your eating disorder has, has led you to this moment in your life. Right. And I mean, I think it offers you a unique perspective, uh, in order to, to help people, but do you, do you feel called? I mean, do you feel, are you where you belong? Is this where Trina is supposed to be? Yes, I definitely feel like it is. So as you know, before I was doing this type of coaching, I was Mm -hmm. doing divorce coaching and I felt, Mm -hmm. you know, I did feel called to that because I had gone through a divorce several years ago, Mm -hmm. but once I went through treatment and that whole idea of there's all of these women out there who are trapped and not knowing it. 
And then seeing how much happier I was as I was learning these concepts and breaking free from diet culture, I really did feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to get out here and help people and spread this message. That's great. I'm so happy for you. And I know our listeners can't see you, but you are clearly happy. And I see it all over your face and uh, you are definitely where you are supposed to be. And just congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, you started a podcast. I know that had been on your list for a long time. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about it. Yeah, no, that was, it was a lot of fun. I had been afraid to do it for so long. And so you know, you just have like these mental blocks. There's one thing that you're worried about. And so finally I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And so I do have a podcast now it's called end emotional eating now. And I've recorded two episodes so far and it's fun. Like I like it. Like I enjoy being able to share my thoughts and my knowledge with, with other people. Yeah. It's just another way to get your message out. You know, there are some people who won't go on social media, but they'll listen to podcasts, right? So you're just, you gotta, you gotta hit them at every angle. Um, I like that you're, I mean, do you plan on having guests right now? The two episodes that I've listened to, uh, you're just sharing on a topic or a particular aspect of emotional eating. And I love that you're doing that. Cause that is something I have wanted to do, but I've been chicken to do it. Like I have guests on cause I, I I get to hide. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) but, um, I like that you're doing that and you're doing great. So are you planning on having guests at all in the future? I probably will is one of those things where because of all the mental blocks, Mm -hmm. I just kind of made it seem like, okay, doing a podcast is so much harder than it is. And so then I would tell myself, Oh, if you have a podcast, you have to figure out how to have guests. Oh, I I can't figure that out. You know, I said, Oh, if you do a podcast, you have to have music. I don't know how to do that. And so whenever I was like, okay, I am just going to do this, (laughs) whichever way I have to do it. I said, it's easiest for me to just be the person talking Uh until I get comfortable with all of this and, you know, become a pro at podcasting. I'll start with just me so that I couldn't give myself any more excuses, but yes, ultimately (laughs) I think listeners do like to hear other people's voices. Yeah, I I really enjoyed your Girl Scout cookie episode. Uh, It was great. And I like it. You keep it short. I mean, sometimes I think I go on a little bit too long, but I I, you're fantastic. So congratulations on that. That's been a lot of fun. I definitely did not learn anything about podcasting in medical school (laughs) or training. And so (laughs) it has all been, you know, completely new knowledge to figure out how to do this. Yeah. And it's cool. It's a different area of your brain, right? That yeah. you have to use. Yeah. And it, it is fun. I've had a lot of fun doing it too. Um, so tell us about your coaching services. Yes. So I work with women and my goal is to help them ultimately find food freedom. And so I advertise as an emotional eating coach, but as we've talked about today, that kind of encompasses a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the eating side, I'm also very passionate about working on body image and self-esteem. I think all of that kind of goes together. And so I work with women one-on-one where they get individualized coaching with me. And my goal is to take them from where they are immersed in diet culture and maybe not even fully realizing it to feeling food freedom. And when I say food freedom, what that means for me, like you referenced the Girl Scout cookies. So in all the prior years, whenever the Girl Scouts were out selling their cookies, 
I just knew that if I bought a box, I was going to eat the whole box. Like I could not control myself. Well, this year, whenever I bought Girl Scout cookies, I'm able to eat just a couple of cookies. Or yesterday, my kids were eating those lemon ones with the icing and Mm -hmm. I didn't really want any at the time. So I didn't eat any. I didn't feel this need to have them because I give myself permission to have it if I want to. So it no longer seems as enticing Mm -hmm. or food freedom is being able to go out with my friends or family and actually enjoy what I'm eating because I'm not worried about the calories and order what you want. Exactly. Order what I want, enjoy what I'm eating and know that I don't have to eat it all right then, or I don't even have to eat it all because I can always come back another day and get some, I can always take it home and eat more later. There, there's no rule like, oh, this is, you know, only these, this one meal is the only meal I'm allowed to have something (laughs) I like, and then I've got to go back on my diet again. So if people want to reach out to you to learn about your, your services, where do they find you? Yes. My website is foodfreedommd.com. Nice. So foodfreedommd.com. So that's the easiest way to find me. And you could book a consult with me, or you could also email me. My email is Trina at drtrinadora.com. Beautiful. And I'll put all that in our show notes um, so that people can find you. I'll put a link to your website there. Thank you so much for coming on today, Trina. It's always great to talk to you and stay in touch with you. And I'm just really happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listeners, um, I will include Trina's information in the show notes and thank you for joining me today for another episode. And this girl puts out is officially signing off. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com.